we have an opportunity in Missoula, Montana today to pull together to ensure that that institution that has provided a tremendous amount of service and value to the city of Montana and the world continues to do so for a very long time. I think the best days of the University of Montana are ahead of it. Yeah. And I think the opportunity we have to collaborate, to cooperate, to communicate is as ripe as it's ever been. Welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing here at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to talk with innovative thinkers, both savvy vets and -and up-and-coming stars in the Montana business ecosystem. My goal with these conversations is to dig deep into how these people think, to understand how they view the world and conceptualize the opportunities it presents. Let's go. Hello and welcome. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, If you're new to the show, we're excited to have you with us. If you are a repeat customer, uh, we are also very excited for your loyalty. Uh, Help us spread the word. We're trying to grow this thing. Share, rate, review, subscribe, all those things that you can do to uh, help us grow the audience. And uh, just most importantly, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, tell your friends about it. So today's episode, we got the chance to sit down with Missoula Mayor John Engen. Mr. Mayor has been the mayor of Missoula since 2006, and he is a prolific member of this community, has a lot of interesting things to say about a variety of issues. But today I wanted to get into his view, his vision of what the optimal relationship between a university like University of Montana and a community like Missoula should be. Uh, the dimensions of that, and uh, what he sees as new opportunities for this partnership to flourish under the new leadership of uh, University President Seth Bodnar. Anyway, that was a far-ranging conversation. I enjoyed it. The mayor was generous with his time and insights. And uh, in fact, we make some news right at the beginning of the podcast. So uh, to my fellow 40-plus-year-old dads in the audience, um, stay tuned for some exciting news made here on A New Angle. You heard it here first. Without further ado, I give you Mayor John Engen. So we're here today with Missoula Mayor John Engen. Mr. Mayor, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So a lot to get into today, but uh, I want to put you on the spot with a rather controversial issue right from the get-go. Fair enough. So, you know, I'm a 40-something-year-old dad of two daughters. I hang around with a lot of uh, similarly situated guys in life. And a big problem that we want you on this podcast to clarify your position on is, how do you feel about kids' sleepovers? Uh, As as a 53-year-old man with... um no children. Uh, I'm good with it. You're good with it? I think we're going to need to do better than that. I, I have, um, yeah, anytime, um, anytime there's an activity that requires absolutely nothing of me, I'm generally in favor. <laughs> I think you should rethink this position on sleepovers. They are, uh, they can, they can have a devastating effect on families. Is it? No joke. Your kid gets invited over for a sleepover, right? And you think that's a great thing. And then the kid comes back a disaster. And it takes you all this energy to recover, yet then you're indebted and you have to return the favor to another family and it creates this vicious cycle of terrible incentives. 
So, so is, is there a way that you could vet the sleepover family in a way that might not have your child return feral? What's that term that uh, we're using, like uh, in, in, intense vetting or... Yes. Yeah, whatever yes. that is. Yes. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the secret, some sort of a contract. Yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, so in all seriousness, thanks for coming on the show. What I wanted to kind of explore today with you is... What makes for an optimal partnership between a university and a city, town, municipality? And what role? I mean, you've been in the office since 2005, is that right? Yeah, elected in 2005, began serving in 2006. Yep. Sure. So you've had a long tenure here in city council before that. You've been at the university. Maybe lay out what your, what your sense for that relationship has been and could be. I think the relationship has evolved and will continue to evolve it occurs to me today that, that universities can no longer operate in a vacuum. They can't be insular, uh, and communities like ours, uh, I think, need to embrace universities beyond some of the some of the traditional ways we've we've hugged. That is, it's the relationship isn't just about football games or arts and culture. Um, I believe it's about housing. I believe it's about planning. I believe that the city of Missoula has some responsibility and obligation to uh, help with recruitment. I think we have tremendous opportunities to, to steal a line from uh, Scott Wittenberg at UM, blur the lines between uh, campus and community. Sure. And we see other communities where those lines are blurred to great effect. Uh, we are we're greater than the sum of our parts. We have uh, we have a tremendous talent pool and a tremendous experience pool, um, and I think opportunities to uh, to swim together in the larger pond. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it's an exciting time. Um, changes in leadership always provide opportunity. And you were, you were on the search committee for the new president. I was, right? yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I happen to be a, be a Roy Singstrom fan. I'm a, I'm a Seth Bodner fan. The, the men brought very different strengths to the position. Mm -hmm. And I think despite the challenges today, uh, being president of the University of Montana could be among the most rewarding jobs in the country. There, there's a lot to be done. And um, Rahm Emanuel's line, "Never waste a good crisis." Um, it was a good time to. It was a good time to shake things up. Yeah, yeah. So, put you on the spot a little bit. If you were in that seat, you know, as a, as a leader of an organization, in in uh, well, Seth has said it's not a crisis, and I respect him for saying that. Uh, what would sort of be the first thing, your first order of business? Uh, I believe that the University of Montana has to express a vision, mm. um, and I believe that the University of Montana needs to embrace and celebrate the fact that it is a liberal arts university. And as mayor, I can tell you in the last six months, I've had more conversations with folks who are hiring people to do interesting work. Mm -hmm. at a competitive wage who value liberal arts graduates more than they value folks in STEM, okay. um, or, or at least as equally, depending on the nature of the work. Um, the, these are, these are, are companies who appreciate creativity, 
the ability to think, the ability to communicate, mm-hmm. the ability to be flexible, the ability to be to, to learn, and and all of those attributes are part and parcel of that liberal arts education. Um, and I think in some ways uh, undervalued that okay. because the if, if we treat education as a commodity and a degree only has value based on the economic return on the day you graduate, mm-hmm. um, we're selling ourselves short. Sure. And I, and I feel that that's changing. I think the atmosphere is changing. Great students, great teachers, great opportunity, great community. Mm-hmm. It would seem that, you know, in an environment where we've had budget cut after budget cut and a lot of hate and discontent and stress associated with that, that you do kind of see people descend into these factions. It's the liberal arts versus the professional schools versus the sciences. And you know, one thing that struck me from the start of Seth's tenure has been, no, it's not about this versus right. that. It's, it's his, I think his expression has been the power is in the and. Yeah. And so I think that gets to this overarching issue of, okay, let's expand the end just beyond campus and to the town and the city of Missoula. And so where are some areas you feel like we're doing particularly well at that? And where are some areas where we could maybe do better? So we've had small, interesting conversations around planning for collaborations and innovation between the city of Missoula and the University of Montana and the private sector and other public institutions. So if we were to look at some of the European models, for example, where, again, those, those campus lines are blurred and where um, we extend education and entrepreneurship and social justice intentionally, things start to happen. So one of the things that we've been talking about is, is if we think about, about the entrepreneurial innovation that's going on at Blackfoot, Sure. Telecommunications. And its interest in uh, incubating business, Mm -hmm. um, creating an environment for thoughtful entrepreneurism, uh, creating opportunities for leveraging technology into business and social good. Um, If you think of that as a bookend and you think of the University of Montana as another bookend, between there we have this fabulous river corridor where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff going on both in terms of bricks and mortar, but also in terms of opportunity. So we're really at this uh, pretty remarkable time in Missoula's history, in my opinion, where we have folks who are pulling in the same direction mm-hmm. and thinking creatively together. And, you know, as, as President Bodner suggests, the power of and is a thing. None, none of what we're doing needs to be mutually exclusive. Sure. And sometimes I think that's the case. And in this work, what I've learned is that we could sometimes get in that, that box of thinking about competing priorities and always making a choice of one over the other. Uh, when it turns out, m- most of us have the capacity to do more than one thing at a time. Yeah. And, and we, can, we can manage multiple priorities and move those priorities forward. So just thinking about the four things that Seth and I have discussed briefly, and we haven't spent a lot of time together. I'm very respectful of his time, given uh, it, it's tough to parachute in. And, yeah, he's and, uh, drinking through a fire hose exactly right now. Right. Um, but, but 
but there are four areas where I think um, we can uh, collaborate meaningfully and in some ways that we have not before. Um, okay. Planning is one of them. I believe that there never has to be a squabble over whether we're going to build something on the university golf course again. Mm. If we were to plan together, look at uh, look at land and building resources and opportunities together, and master plan for for what it is that the university wants to do in relation to what the city is doing, has been doing, right. and what the private sector is doing. And when we combine those planning efforts, I believe that we end up with a map that makes a whole bunch of sense, not only for the university in terms of um, its ability to uh, to use its land wisely and efficiently, but our ability to collectively use that land wisely and efficiently and take advantage of existing infrastructure, whether that's transportation, energy, uh, other utilities, housing, uh, you name it, um, recreational opportunities, the, the whole nine yards. So, so I think that joint planning is is a place where we can we can in some ways transform the campus and transform the city. Sure. Um, do you have capacity to edit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, with the pup. Yeah. What's her name? Libby. Libby. You might not even edit. She wanted to get in. Hey, pup. She often finds herself on the wrong side of the door. She knows how to ring the doorbell. Apparently. Yeah, she does. <laughs> um, Yes, we're talking about growth and planning, and I guess as a follow-up to that, do you have guiding principles with regard to how you conceptualize growth and planning in and outside of this relationship? Absolutely. We we have, and part of the work that we've done over the last dozen years, and that work certainly preceded me in this office, is um, we have foundational documents that really provide uh, a thoughtful, stakeholder-driven roadmap for how we want to grow. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a zoning document that we, uh, that we updated from, um, from a code that in some cases was 70 years old and didn't sure. reflect reality on the ground at all. Uh-huh. Uh, we dust that off every year. We, we continue to, to adjust that based on um, uh, the facts on the ground and and community values as they evolve. We have a transportation plan that uh, again reflects community values and needs. We have uh, a growth policy that reflects those community values and needs uh, and uh, all of those all of those foundational planning documents work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're, they're the filters through which we guide growth. And when those documents are done well, which I believe ours are, um, they eliminate a lot of unpredictability, they create lots of opportunity, mm-hmm. and they demonstrate a seriousness of purpose and intention that folks who want to live, work, play, invest, uh, build, um, we create an environment where where that stuff happens with with relative ease and okay. comfort. Okay. So expanding that to the campus model and incorporating that, what are the what are the long term uses for parking lots at the University of Montana? For me, every parking lot in the city of Missoula is an opportunity. It's wasted ground. Um, surface parking is a really bad use of 
precious real estate sure. in a valley. Okay. Uh, structured parking is expensive. Parking is absolutely necessary. But we can be more thoughtful about the ways we use that ground. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we don't typically build surface parking lots for... Um, for many of our projects anymore, and, and particularly in places like the urban core, because it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the highest and best use of the ground. And so we have opportunities, I think, to work with the university in that regard. I think the bricks and mortar classroom model is changing. Absolutely, rapidly. And, yeah. and so tr- traditional investment in tipping up buildings to do the work of a university, I, I think that landscape is changing considerably. And mm-hmm. I also think the location of those facilities, when, when there's, in a world where there's no internet and, uh, and uh, education is absolutely a function of proximity, mm-hmm. um, a campus model makes tremendous sense. Right. Uh, when when communication opportunities are expanded, when you don't have to sit in a classroom to learn, or when you might learn more and better outside of a classroom, we right. think about that. So, and, and I'll qualify everything I say with with the fact that I guessing none of my ideas are original, and it's really easy for me to to quarterback from the mayor's office. Um, well, that I mean that notion of. I agree. Like we got to be with scarce resources, scarce land. We got to be really thoughtful with initiating a new building project or something like that. But the idea of a campus, I mean, I think there's something special there in terms of building a community of face-to-face interactions. You can replace some of the learning through online or asynchronous channels. But you know, this is an issue not just on campus, but more broadly. How do we preserve what's special about this community as it continues to grow and change and, and those things. I think I'm thinking about expanding the traditional campus so that that sense of community continues to exist or even or or even um, is strengthened okay. by virtue of some of it becomes less about geography and more about uh, relationships sure. and communication and back to that notion of intentionality and and how we're pulling together and you know the, the proximity of campus a, a beautiful campus like the University of Montana's I think can be uh, a bookend to a broader sort of community campus right, right. That, that that allows a little bit more free flow of roles right okay yeah explain that a little bit further free flow of roles yeah so so if I'm a health sciences student mm-hmm. and I have an opportunity to have a classroom that is adjacent to a working healthcare facility, mm. for example. I see. Um, or is embedded in that healthcare facility, or is a uh, uh, bike ride away. Um, it it seems to me there's there's opportunity there. If I'm a if I'm a coder, and I'm in a room with folks who are making practical application of what I'm learning to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's extra value in that, I think. Sure. And and there's clear value to the, I think there's clear value to the institution that's, um, that's proximate to that student and proximate to that learning opportunity and proximate to that professor. 
this stuff can get a lot squishier than than maybe it is today, a little less formal. Well, I think it needs to get less formal, and it needs to. I mean, we need, we need to think about like well, why is a college degree four years, and why is the semester the way it is, and why are credit hours this like all those structures? Right. They're built upon assumptions when right. the world has changed. Right. And so, yeah, to to create the experiences that you're outlining, I right. think we as a university and and maybe the city as well need to be more nimble. We need to be more nimble, more flexible, and and again, provided we have some foundation for that flexibility so so i'll i'll use my um i'll use my background in in newspapers as an example so when i worked on the copy desk at, at the missoulian and you were um grad in journalism yeah, yeah. yeah got, right. my, got my degree in journalism from the university of montana was lucky enough to work my way through school at a newspaper okay. while learning to be a newspaper professional. So, and so some some of my philosophy here is formed by experience. Mm-hmm. So there, there's an old thing called the AP style book, right? So if you're sitting on the copy desk, uh, there's there's one way to abbreviate a state name. Um, there's one way to uh, to write a number. Sure. So you, a lot of what we do is formatted, which means we can concentrate on content. And I think about these foundational pieces, the, the planning in particular. Um, if, if we have a framework, then we can be creative within that framework, but we don't have to continually invent the framework. Right. That's that's really hard work, and it tend if if you're if you're doing it over and over, it tends not to be productive. So, how can we be more productive working together? Um, and and I think that that. That planning piece and that line blurring piece is pretty compelling. And what we're finding in the businesses who <clears throat> have a relatively sudden interest in Missoula is that is that these institutions have flexibility, have some degree of agility, and we can be more agile. That we have decent cooperation, but we can be more cooperative. Okay. Um, when. When you come to a community and you can sit down with a university president, a mayor, a city council member, a council, a county commissioner, a county commissioner, a superintendent of schools, a, a number of business leaders, folks in um, social services, and get an overview of the community in a general sense that we know each other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we're willing to work together, uh, that. That connotes serious, seriousness of purpose okay, um, and gives people a sense we're squared away. Yeah, yeah. And so as we, as we move forward as a community, I mean, I, I hear people say things along the lines of, oh, I don't want this to be Bozeman. I don't want this to be a new boulder. I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want that. Yeah. You know, there's something that I think most everybody that lives here knows is special about yeah. Missoula. How do you... Although that's not something that's fixed. I mean, it's ever-changing, and it's, right. it's one of the things that's special about it. So how do you think about that, preserving, or, or, or I don't know if preserving is the right word, but monitoring the culture of the community? So over the course of 53 years living here, for, for me, the place just gets better. Okay. It changes. It evolves. But... But the funk never goes away, um, and 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 one of the one of the ways you don't become Boulder or Bozeman is that you 
you uh, you recognize, embrace, and memorialize community values. Okay. And at, at, at the risk of um, beating the planning drum too loudly, uh, there's there's nothing in what we do that generally doesn't express those values and and those values are are made manifest in a number of ways one is the one is who gets elected mm-hmm. to office um, we generally elect people to public office who are uh, who reflect our values and as somebody who stands for office i I articulate my values as they relate to the community, and people have a choice. And um, when we engage in our planning processes, those values become manifest in those documents. So uh, open space, access to trails, a clean, healthy, natural environment, all very much Missoula values. Um, there is a there, there is a, a a kindness and a generosity of spirit in mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. that is uh, that's manifest in uh, a number of ways, including the number of nonprofits in the community. Absolutely, the the number of folks who give their uh, time and money to help other people in in ways that in in some cases are 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 broad and basic or in some cases are are um, specific um, but 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 that that sense of compassion and and what I will call sort of an egalitarianism I, I believe is a, a Missoula value that mm-hmm. that is manifest and what when we when we do things that um, that stray particularly far from those values. Um, it's, it's not like the bumpers on a on a bowling alley, right? Um, right, right. We 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 end up with the ball back in the lane because the 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 cultural and institutional sideboards work. Yeah. Can you think of an example where? In your tenure here, the, the city has maybe strayed from that in a decision it's made, and, and like you said, had to figure out a way to get back in the lane. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so there are there are um, a number of them. Um, uh, early in in one of my terms, uh, the city of Missoula had an opportunity to save some money by. Uh, Purchasing power from the city of Great Falls as okay. a function of a coal power plant mm-hmm. that it was tipping up, um, and despite the fact that we we're going to save some money, um, we heard loud and clear from constituents that we weren't interested in saving money at the cost of the environment, um, and and we got back in our lane. Um, we we abandoned that project much to the chagrin at the time of the city of Great Falls mm-hmm. but um, but we we had to reflect our values when we talk about clean air and water Missoula today is much different from what it was in the 
1960s and Absolutely. 70s. And the air is as clean today because the community, when presented with evidence that wood smoke was a clear factor in the degradation of our natural environment, the community said, let's regulate that, let's make some changes, um, and the air is much cleaner today. The Clark Fork River used to be a dump. Mm-hmm. It's not anymore. Right, right. It's it's an asset and mm-hmm. something that we value. So those are some broad examples. When I think about the um, when I think about the complex and difficult issue of sexual assault, whether mm-hmm. that happens on a campus right. or elsewhere in the city of Missoula, this this community had a choice and that was um, we, we could have said to the United States Department of Justice, uh, we don't think we have a problem, and uh, you can go ahead and sue us, and we'll see who wins. Rather than do that, we negotiated an agreement wherein uh, we acknowledged our challenges, our difficulties, and the places where we weren't doing the best we could for victims, uh-huh. and we made a change. And we accepted our role in that, and... Uh, we worked to to make it better. When we had a choice of allowing our municipal water system to remain in private hands as a function of a transfer of ownership from a longtime private owner to a a global hedge fund, the community stepped up and said, that's not the way we're going to roll. Yeah, and so that one, I mean, in in many ways, I mean, you've done a lot of things in your tenure here, but that's kind of a signature item, the Missoula water repurchase. I don't know what, quite what the, the proper term is there, but so, you know, we're, we're a ways into that now and reflecting on that as kind of the community is, is adapting to now managing its own water, owning its own water. Citizens are maybe dealing with, you know, different cost implications in their world and various dimensions. Lessons learned for for better or for worse through that experience? Uh, lots of lessons learned. Yeah. Um, one is that I don't estimate legal fees very well. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, um, two weeks ago, an email from a, a friend quoting The Economist for uh, City, C-I-T-I, mm-hmm. talking about the competitive and profitable world of water privatization. Mm and the commoditization of water, the, 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 the value of uh, private water utilities, the way they're being traded. Um, a lot of people are making a lot of money from water, uh, and Missoula was going down that path. Sure. And interestingly enough, we will likely never know what we prevented because mm-hmm. we prevented it. Yeah, right, right. Those counterfactuals uh, are hard to uh, argue with. Right. But what I can tell you today is that uh, that a system that long suffered from lack of investment is being brought to an industry standard today. Um, that will be a, a long process. But we'll bring the system to an industry standard. We're paying our debt. We're operating the system with the employees who ran the system before. Mm-hmm. Um and we're doing all of that without raising rates. On the ground today, turning on your tap is very much the same as it was yeah. uh, in May of 2017, but what's happening in the future is much different. Um, rates will not increase at what I believe would have been, um, r- rates would have gone up more and faster 
the system would continue to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not a big conspiracy guy, nor am I necessarily an alarmist, but um, despite the regulations on the ground today, a community with a pristine aquifer would be a target for profit. Okay. We took the profit margin out. Yeah. And so I guess there's one other topic I wanted to get into, and you alluded to it earlier in terms of public safety and, and some of the problems we had with sexual assault in this community. And so I went to school in Philadelphia and um, the University of Pennsylvania Police Department was either the second or the third largest police department in the state of Pennsylvania. And so I don't know quite what the dynamics here are, but the, the university has its own police department, the city, obviously, there's sheriffs, there's all these different law enforcement organizations or public safety organizations. What is an optimal relationship between those two entities look like to ensure public safety, student safety, community safety? So, so I think our relationship is as close to optimal as it gets in okay. my experience. Okay. Um, we have a great working relationship with the UN Police Department. Many of those officers uh, are retired from sure. the City of Missoula Police Department. Um, so there are personal and professional relationships there. We have uh, policies and protocols in place um, that allow us to most effectively manage crime in particular. Our our protocols in the wake of our agreement with the Department of Justice and the UM and UM's agreement with the Department of Justice created some additional protocols for us to work together effectively to serve victims. Okay. Um, and I am I am really pleased with the relationship that we have. It's um, it's relatively seamless. The UM Police Department's uh, jurisdiction and role is a little bit different from ours, um, but we respect one another and we help each other um, most likely on a daily basis mm -hmm. to ensure safety for for students and, and the larger population. It's, it's pretty good. Excellent. And so final question would be, and you, you sort of pointed to this at the very beginning of the conversation, you know, we have new leadership at the university. Yeah. And one thing you said was the university needs to clarify its mission and figure out what it what it stands for, and, and if you were to offer your two cents as to what that would be, what would you offer up? We we are an institution that invests in human beings and their potential. Mm -hmm. That investment will produce citizens who can serve communities large and small all over the globe. Those students will have the tools they need to fully engage in productive, satisfying, interesting lives. They'll have the capacity every day to make the world a little bit better in their way. We won't shy away from the educational experience and the notion that education is is valuable unto itself. Mm -hmm. um, we won't treat it as a commodity and we will work with the community and as many partners as we can to create opportunities for students to succeed both on and off the campus. Yeah, I like it. There's a lot there. We might need to make a postcard version. Well, That's pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm verbose and my most of my marketing days are over. And again, I don't think any of these instincts are uh, original to me.
We have an opportunity in Missoula, Montana today to pull together to ensure that that institution that has provided a tremendous amount of service and value to the city of Montana and the world continues to do so for a very long time. I think the best days of the University of Montana are ahead of it. Yeah. And I think the opportunity we have to collaborate, to cooperate, to communicate is as ripe as it's ever been. That's a great way to close it. Mr. Mayor, John Engen, thanks very much. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that this podcast is brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're our first sponsor, and we can't thank them enough. CED is one of the largest electrical wholesale supply companies in the country with nearly 600 locations. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Coming up next week, we have Michelle Huey, founder of Vim & Vigor and director of marketing at Submittable, as well as Steph Sample, a prolific Missoula entrepreneur and an executive coach. Steph actually coaches Michelle, and the dynamics of that coaching relationship is the topic of our discussion. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, please rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the podcast. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can also support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording original music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Willey, recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke, and the entire comms team here at the College of Business. And finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.